October 31st. Shape of Things Part 2. Retrospective on Halloween. So, yeah, we're finally getting there. Uh, so, basically, uh, after Resurrection, it's kind of another uh, plans to reboot the series kind of stalled out again. Um, there was a whole bunch of ideas that were thrown around. There was one point where there was supposed to be a proposed idea for a crossover with Hellraiser, uh, where it was supposed to be the origin of Michael's like murderous impulse or whatever you want to call it was because of a curse from the Cenobites. I'm I'm both relieved and sad that that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, we also had Mustafa Akkad and his daughter uh, were killed in the Amman bombings in 2005. He was in the he was in the city of Amman in uh, Jordan visiting a wedding, and there was a terrorist attack at both his and a couple of other hotels, and unfortunately he died. Uh, well, obviously that's tragic enough on its own, but it also, you know, more relevant to this, it did stall out the um, attempts to reboot the series. Eventually, they, the uh, studio decided, all right, we're just going to do a hard reset because we don't know where to go from Resurrection. Eventually, they settled on Rob Zombie, and Rob Zombie... Um, came to Carpenter and basically um, wanted to consult with him. And Carpenter just told him, you know, man, you don't have to, you don't have to stay faithful to my stuff. Just do your own thing. I mean, that's kind of the reason he hated all the sequels, but whatever. <laughs> so Halloween 2007 set out to be a bit of a departure from the original. Uh, Zombie wanted to make it like part remake, part origin story, uh, rather than just like a brief sequence of Michael creeping about before killing his sister. Uh, the first 25 minutes or so showcases his unhappy home life. He's abused and berated both by his sister and by his mother's boyfriend, Ronnie. Um, his mother works as a stripper to try and get some extra money for the family, so he's picked on at school for that too, and also and has been showcasing signs of signs of sociopathy. Uh, Dr. Loomis, played by Malcolm McDowell in this uh, version, he's not the psychiatrist at Smith's Grove. He's actually a... Well, okay, he's one of them. But he's brought in because the principal is worried about Michael's behavior. They found a dead cat in a bag <laughs> in his locker or his backpack or whatever. And he's been showing signs of what's called zoosadism and just generally sort of volatile behavior. And I do like that touch. That is one of the more realistic aspects about this. Um, he's a little older in this one. He's like 10 instead of 6. But, you know, that is one of the more realistic aspects is that there's the old uh, McDonald triad, I think it was called. Where it's like, you know, the classic three signs of early predictors for being a serial killer 
Although, like, pyromania and bedwetting were kind of dropped from this, and Zeus sadism, basically killing or torturing small animals for fun, was basically the only one that actually had a strong correlation. And then one day, he just snaps and kills one of the bullies in the woods, just jumps him, and then just beats him to death with a big stick. Uh... He kills his stepdad, he kills Judith, he kills Judith's boyfriend. Uh, in this one, in this version, the mask is something that Judith's boyfriend actually had with him, uh, instead of just something that he just steals from a hardware store just because. And he just takes his little sister, Angel, who's like a little baby at this point, that's Lori, eventually, And he just sits on, he just sits on the stoop of the porch, and just waits for his mom to come home. After that happens, he's committed to Smith's Grove and under care of Doc Loomis. Seventeen, seventeen years later, he breaks out and returns to Haddonfield, and he goes on a killing spree, obviously. And yeah, the whole. Like, honestly, my biggest complaint about the remakes is just that I don't really enjoy any of these characters. Like, Annie's the only one that I kind of feel kind of interested in. Uh, Like, what I said Linda for the original felt like, you know, stereotypical teenage girl. Lori does, too, in this case. Obviously, she's a bit more of a... She's a bit more on the shy side still, but she definitely acts, she and Linda basically act a lot similar. And I'm not trying to like rag on Scout Taylor Compton or anything. She does a great job, but like in this one, Annie's the only one I'm actually getting invested with. Loomis is kind of an asshole. Loomis, instead of being kind of driven as he was in the original to try and track down Michael, he's just kind of an asshole in this version. And especially in Halloween too. Uh, I will say for the positives of it, the the kills are definitely like they have the level of brutality that that didn't really show up again until like the David Gordon Green version. a lot of good sequences but yeah like honestly I know this kind of gets probably said a lot but I just don't like it as a Halloween movie if it were its own thing it would be alright as far as you know generic slasher movies go there's I, I mean I kind of like the fact that he gave Michael a tragic backstory like the you know abusive family and all that because that's usually how a lot of serial killers actually start but that did kind of I don't know the fact that it kind of gave Michael that backstory rather than just him being kind of like a blank slate that we could project onto I think kind of detracted from his scariness a little Um, 
But yeah, and as far as the whole realism thing goes, like, no. Like, this one ends with... Like, Loomis isn't even the one that shoots him. Laurie gets his gun and then just knocks Michael off of a ledge. Like, is on top of him, has him... I wouldn't say pinned. She's You're not pinning Michael Myers to the ground. But just, like, shoots him multiple times in the face with a gun. But... And then the fact that they came back for Halloween... Two. Yeah. Okay. Halloween two, especially it's my least favorite of the bunch. I'm just going to get that out of the way. I still think it's overhated, but it picks up a year after the events of Halloween. Oh seven. Lori and Annie have survived Michael's onslaught. Loomis is now an author twice over having written one book prior to the previous movie and another in the interim. And they both have to do with Michael. Loomis is kind of now reviled somewhat in town for what many perceive to be, like, the exploitative nature of his work. You know, it's, like, full disclosure, I haven't watched, like, the Netflix Dahmer series that they're doing yet, but it just seems like every other year there's, like, some true crime series and people, like, get mad at the creators of it, like they're, you know, making money off of other people's misery. And I'm like, well, maybe, but... To some degree, that's what news companies do. But, you know, if... Like, had it been one of my... Had it been, like, one of my relatives that had gotten killed by one of those assholes, I wouldn't entirely rule out that I'd be um, objecting to... Objecting to, like, the way it's portrayed. But... Michael somehow comes back, even though he's basically been doing fuck all for a year. Uh, everyone just kind of assumes Michael is dead, although apparently his body went missing. Like, that isn't a red flag. And... I was like, okay, the big thing with this one is, like, the first 20 minutes are, like, a dream sequence, but at the same time, I'm like, how much... Because there was stuff that Lori wasn't there for. It's also just like, I, I normally like Rob Zombie. He's got like a sort of I don't give a fuck attitude with a lot of his movies. They kind of, they're grungy and they kind of feel sort of free form. It's just like, I didn't go into this movie expecting to hear a guy joking about fucking corpses within like the first six minutes. Yeah, cannibal corpse playing in the distance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, it's stereotypical Rob Zombie movie. People are just saying fuck every other other word. Most of my complaints, though, is just plot line and characterization. Laurie was not really likable in 07, and that really hasn't changed. Loomis was all right in the first one, but he's just kind of an asshole up until the last few minutes of this movie, and no one really has anything to do since everyone just assumes Michael is dead. There's a plot line for Lori trying to deal with her trauma, but she's just kind of a bitch to everyone, and including Annie, who's trying to, like, actually help her. And it's like, I don't want to, like, 
be one of those condescending people, but I do actually kind of feel bad for Margot Kidder getting roped into this movie. May she rest in peace. But most of the movie is just Michael wandering around Haddonfield without a mask, looking like Hagrid's SoundCloud rapper cousin, and just killing people. Or it's just people yelling at Loomis because they hate the fact that he's writing books on the subject. As if it's his fault that Michael's a fucking menace to society. I I will say I did like the little like talk show sequence where it was basically Chris Hardwick as like, you know, a fictional anchor. And it's just fucking Weird Al. <laughs> I never thought I'd see Weird Al in a hal- in a horror movie. But yeah. I mean, I kind of thought we all I thought we all kind of agreed subconsciously to not call attention to the fact that, you know, well, he made the they were talking about Michael Myers and Weird Al's like, wait, are we talking about the Austin Powers guy? I'm like, God damn it. But yeah, it's like Daniel Harris, Scout Taylor Compton. Um uh Brad Dourif, Malcolm McDowell, they all give really great performances. It's just the whole movie feels like a fever dream. And then there's like these weird sort of ghost dream sequences where Uh, where Michael is seeing his mother in, like, this white dress. And a lot of it just has these sequences where it looks like it's inside of a fucking snow globe. (laughs) It's, like, really washed out to the point where it's basically black and white. There's these puppets that look like they got taken off of Return to Oz. And given Rob... Given Rob Zombie's stated goal of making Michael more realistic, I do have to question why he opted for these and to have Michael to even do a second one when Michael got shot in the head repeatedly. And the fact that not only is Michael having these visions, but Laurie can apparently see them. So he basically took the part of Halloween 4 and 5 that everyone hated. Ugh, I don't know. I will say... At least for the ending... At least for the cut of the movie where... Laurie survives to the end, it's a great ending. But it's just kind of meh throughout the whole thing. But moving on to Halloween 2018. Now, first in the trilogy directed by Daniel Gordon Green. Um, uh, Daniel Gordon Green up to this point had mostly been known for... Uh, Crime dramas like Joe, uh, some regular dramas like George Washington, which is his director's debut, Undertow, All the Real Girls, Snow Angels. But he also did some of the, did some comedy movies like um, Pineapple Express, Your Highness, The Sitter, um, our brand is crisis. So basically what this, basically what this is, is it's a legacy sequel or a re-sequel or a requel. If you prefer, it's a retcon where all the movies between the original and this are non-canon. We get Jamie Lee Curtis back as Laurie Strode, Nick Castle back as Michael slash The Shape, 
Uh, there's some new characters to flesh out the roster, like Officer Hawkins. Uh, retroactively added in as one of the officers that helped capture Michael back in 78. It also kind of explicitly mentioned that some of the sequel info is retconned because there's a scene where Allison, who is Lori's granddaughter at this point, um, one of her friends asks if Michael is actually her brother, and she said, no, that's just something people made up. <laughs> uh, Lori in this timeline never really managed to get to deal with the trauma. I mean, H2O, she was kind of doing fine, sort of. But in this one, she's, like, living out in this isolated, like, survivalist compound in the woods. Uh, she's estranged from her family, uh, driving her daughter to be prepared during her childhood so much that social services took her away. Lori's daughter is Karen. She's grown up and married, has her own daughter, Allison. And Michael has been incarcerated for 40 years, and there's a bunch of added lore to bridge the continuity. So Michael escapes when being transferred to prison from Smith's Grove and begins to return to Haddonfield. He's just kind of cutting a bloody swath all the way there. Uh, Lori's trying to cope with her trauma and keep her family safe. And There's like a bunch of great scenes where she's trying to connect with them and just mangle something because she's nervous or it's like she's giving into her bad habits again. And there's this really dramatic scene where she's actually just like sitting outside Smith's Grove uh, gate when the bus is about to leave to transfer these guys. And she's just sitting there in her truck with a pistol in her lap trying to con trying to give herself the courage to just pull up and just unload into Michael, I'd imagine. Uh, if I had to... The thing I love about... This one is, it's got some of the best of the original qualities. It's got great characters, it's got great tension, but it's got the brutality from the Rob Zombie movies and the kills. Um, like, there's one, and it comes after, like, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Uh, Allison's just broken up with her boyfriend, basically, because he was fucking around, basically. And... There's this other kid from their school who tries to hit on her. And he's kind of like mildly drunk and they're cutting through someone's backyard and the floodlights come on. And he's just sitting there. He sees Michael and he just starts spilling his guts to him because he doesn't know who this is. So Michael kills him and then when he tries to escape over like this like wrought iron fence, he just pulls him down and like one of the spikes go through his goes through his neck. It's ugh, oh god. Yeah. And then there's one where Dr. Sartain, who's like, he was a student of Loomis who took over and has become obsessive with Michael. He gets loose, and when he's pinned, Michael just stomps on his head and it just flattens. Like, you just see... You just see, like, brain matter and blood go everywhere, and his, head, and his skull is just... Like, his bone structure is just gone, my guy. <laughs> and... Uh, then there's one scene where someone goes out to check, like, you know, a police cruiser, and they see this, like, weird glow, and they open it up, and it's one of the officers dead, and another one had his head ripped off, and, like, his flashlight shoved up his throat so it looks like a jack-o'-lantern. It, it's just, 
it's kind of wonderful in a very twisted way. But yeah, this definitely feels... This has the best qualities of the original. It's just updated for the modern day. Because like I said, the original is good, but it's very tame compared to modern horror. It's definitely got that... Um, how do I put this? It's got it's got some dark. It's got a lot of dark humor that works really well, and it ends with Laurie luring Michael to, with Michael showing up at Laurie's compound. Laurie and her family trap him in the basement and then burn the place down to try and kill him. That doesn't work, obviously. Uh, we wouldn't have a trilogy otherwise. Uh, so, cutting to Halloween Kills. As they're fleeing, again, much like Halloween 2, it picks up right after where the first one left off. And as they're fleeing the scene of the fire, they're going to the hospital, racing their lorry's truck. And, oh god. They see... Probably the worst possible, probably the only time you would not be happy to see the fire department when your house is burning. They see fire trucks going in the opposite direction. Lori's like, no, 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 let it burn. She's just screaming, let it burn. And it gets there, and there's this really tense scene. And I do feel bad for these guys. They were just doing their job, but uh, they showed up, and Michael just lays into all of them. He grabs like one he like grabs an axe from one of them and just starts going into them. He takes like the circular saw, like one of those door breacher saws that the fire department the firemen use. He just he just kills like ten people within the start of the within like the first ten minutes of the movie. And we get some more like I said, the thing with requels is that you get some of the legacy characters back. Uh so, one second, I'm just going to go through my list here. So, we've got Charles Cyphers as Lee Brackett. He's not the sheriff anymore. He's working as a security guard um, at the local hospital. Uh Kyle Richards is back as Lindsay Wallace, who was Tommy's friend and one of the children Laurie was babysitting in the original. Uh, Nancy Stevens is reprising her role as Marion Chambers from both Halloween 2 and H2O, although obviously they're both retconned. And as a new... And as a new character, we have um, Anthony Michael Hall as, well, not a new character, but new actor. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall is playing Tommy Doyle, uh, not not reprising his role. We've also got uh, Lonnie Elam, who was, you know, Tommy's bully in the original, but now he's his best friend. Um, and, And funnily enough, like, Cameron, Lonnie's son, is actually Allison's like ex-boyfriend in these in these movies. And obviously, you know, Nick Castle is still back as the 
as Michael in the shape, but yeah. So, like I said, it's it combines a good aspect from uh, Halloween Four. Because in Halloween 4, what happens is that the whole police department basically gets butchered by Michael before they get a chance to organize. And basically a little lynch mob gets formed because um, they have lost faith in the authorities to actually control the situation. And essentially the... Essentially... Um, Tommy gets everyone up into a sort of, you know, armed rabble and it ends up getting an innocent person killed because they think he's just Michael because there's Michael wasn't the only one to escape from Smith's Grove that night. There's still one other guy unaccounted for. And the fact that he's kind of lurking around kind of makes them think he's Michael anyway. There's, there's a lot of great scenes. I, Honestly, I feel like the reaction to this one was a little harsh. And honestly, looking back at my dispatch um, earlier, I kind of feel bad giving it a score as low as I did. I think I gave it like a six or something, a five or a six. It's honestly, it's a seven at, at the very least. It's, I definitely think Halloween Kills is a little bit of a step down from Halloween 2018, but not by much, really. I mean, there's nothing bad I can say about it that I couldn't also say about the original Halloween 2. I mean, like I said, the tension here is more just kind of a siege mentality. Like, you know he's out there somewhere, but you don't know where he is. But it's a little less tense. And honestly, like... And there's like this... (laughs) And there's this scene especially where it gets across, like, there's this slightly older couple, and Michael just shows up in their ro- in their house. Uh, he just breaks a light. One of the guy runs f- runs to his wife, like, call the police, call the police, and Michael's arm just bursts through, like, this glass door. It just grabs his head and just starts beating it against a wall. But, you know, if you want, like, a... I'd hardly call it a waste of time, which is what a lot of people have been saying after Halloween Ends came out. But, yeah. Granted, it's less... You know, it's less tense. It's got one of the dumbest fucking kills in the entire franchise, but I still love it. If you know, you know. Um, If you don't go watch it, I promise you will laugh. I I laughed for like a solid five minutes, and I had to pause the movie at that point because it was so dumb. Michael Michael basically did the serial killer killer equivalent of the Uno reverse card, but yeah, I think I think the tension here is more a case of how people react when they're scared, not there's a killer lurking around and no one knows yet. Um, and it's still like this whole trilogy has just been great shots, but. None of them in this one are as great as one of my favorites in 2018, where it's like, 
this elongated like sequence where Michael's just wandering around, kill someone off screen, and it goes into another person's house and kills them. Uh, nothing in Halloween Kills gets quite to that level for me, but it's still got some amazing camera work. All right. <laughs> now we get to Halloween Ends. I'm going to put a spoiler tag in the episode description in case any of you still haven't seen it. It's on Peacock right now. Let's just say that between... Let's just say that in terms of toxicity, the fan base has... The fan base discourse has been somewhere between Flint, Michigan water supply on the low end and sunbathing in Pripyat on the high end. Uh, I'll have a spoiler tag in the episode description, so just skip forward to that time. Okay, so this is four years after Halloween Kills. Uh, Karen's dead, and so is Tommy Doyle. And Michael has not been seen since that night. He just kind of fucked off and disappeared into the night. And we don't actually open with any of that. We open a year afterwards, though. And what happens is that there's this guy, Corey Cunningham, who's working as an impromptu babysitter for this one family in Haddonfield. And long story short, the kind of asshole kid that he's um, babysitting pulls this prank on him and Corey gets really, really scared to the point where he like kicks open a door and in something that should not have been as funny as it was, the kid falls over. The kid is on the other side of the door and he falls over a railing and dies because he falls like three floors down and the kid's family is just utterly distraught as you might imagine. And Corey is basically branded a like child killer well, he gets called, like, a freak or anything, but, like, the cops basically... The cops don't charge him with anything because they understand that the whole thing was a pure accident and he didn't mean to happen. Um, the kid's dad even later says that he tried to, like, let Corey know that he doesn't hate him for what happened. But it just kind of makes Corey kind of isolated from the rest of the town. And I think that's... And that's the amazing thing about this. It's kind of what threw me for a loop is that Michael's not actually the one doing most of the killing in this. I know some people were upset by that, but the thing is like Michael's proportionally got the same amount of screen time as he does in the original. Like it's something like almost 11 minutes in this versus like nine and a half in the original, which when you factor in this one being longer is still basically the same thing. And, you know, despite the death of her daughter, Lori has kind of moved on finally at this point. But And there's even hints of, like, a budding romance with, with Officer Hawkins. But it's also not helped by the fact that a lot of people are hostile to her because she's trying to, like, write her own book about this. And she... And they're treating her like, you know, it's her fault somehow, again, because this is what happens in these kinds of things. And the thing that David Gordon Green has done here is that he's made something...
he's made something that feels very, very real. And what I mean by that is that, you know, pretty much everyone in this movie feels like someone you'd actually meet living in a shitty little suburban town in the middle of in the middle of the Midwest. And Well, it kind of, here's the thing about Corey, and again, and again, if you haven't clicked off yet because of the spoilers, do so now. The stigma of the accident that happened is kind of made him an outcast in town. People pity him, but no one really likes him. He ends up falling in love with Allison and after an incident where he's attacked by a bunch of, like, high school band kids, which, by the way, Green, what the fuck did we ever do to you? <laughs> I know, here's the thing about marching band kids. We're bullies, but we only bully each other. And we do that out of love. <laughs> but this one's quiet, and to all the people who called it a weak conclusion, fuck off. If you didn't like it, fine. But Gordon... David Gordon Green told you a year prior to this what he was going to do. He was going to do something quiet and intimate and focused on characters instead of the noisy and aggressive tone we had with the first two in this. But Corey ends up crossing paths with Michael, who's just hiding out in a storm drain somewhere. I don't know what he's doing down there. But, you know, he... He kind of just goes fucking Charles Starkweather here. He crosses paths with Michael, and Michael doesn't kill him for some reason. Corey almost kind of, like, latches on to him and kind of becomes a protege in a way. It's not like Michael really needs this. He doesn't seem to show any interest in it. But he just lures people in there, and then Michael kills them. And then eventually he goes out and kills people himself. That that have treated him poorly. And it's really, it's really fucking interesting in a way. He kind of, and I mean, I know a lot of people kind of didn't like that, but at the same time, it's like, well, one, Corey's being treated like shit by the rest of the town anyway. So it's not like he has anything to lose, really. And I mean, when you see all the people who are like, you know, I, I feel like this is kind of a good, point to make is that what happens with Corey and Michael is that Corey sees Michael as a way to improve his lot. He admires, he fears Michael, but he admires him because he's strong and he has the whole town on edge. And I feel like it's kind of a thing that you could draw analogies to with just the sort of romanticization that goes on with like serial killers. You know what I mean? Like those people who make like fan edits of like Ted Bundy or the Columbine shooters. Yes, that's actually a thing. But I don't know. It's just, I, I was worried at first, honestly. I liked the way it went. Uh, Rowan Campbell, um, I know you're probably never going to listen to this, but if you do, good on you, man. You did wonderfully. Uh, someone said you looked like, <laughs> someone said he looked like Gen Z Ramsey Bolton, and I have not been able to unsee that, but still. Kudos to you, man, especially given the fact that you're only a few months younger than I am. Uh, but eventually we get, we actually do 
get a pretty good conclusion. Uh, Michael and Lori have their little showdown near the end. And, well, uh, Lori wins. I'm glad they didn't do a cop-out like having them both survive. I would have been fine with Lori dying or Michael dying or both of them dying. I just didn't want both of them to live because that would have been kind of like the coward's way out. And they do this whole thing where it's like the monster is finally dead at the end. They, they like strap, <laughs> they just strap Michael's body to the top of the car. Well, first they, they cut his throat and cut his wrist so he's completely bleeding out. And they throw it into an industrial shredder after this long procession. In the ensuing days, Allison and Lori kind of patch up their relationship. Um, it got really fraught, especially near the end, because Allison's kind of dumb for plot purposes in this movie, I'm going to be honest, but it, it it did lead to a lot of tension between the two. So they patch that up. Uh, Lori finishes her memoir kind of continues on that romance I mentioned with Deputy Hawkins. And Allison did what she was going to do anyway and leaves Haddonfield to go live her own life somewhere else. So, yeah, I... So, yeah. Um, I'm going to say this. I love this. Like I said, I had my reservations about it before. But I really do love it. I know a lot of people fucking hate it, but to all the people who are like, oh, it's an insult to Carpenter's legacy, I'm like, fuck off. Carpenter's been an executive producer on the last three movies. David Gordon Green was consulting him throughout the whole process. If there was an issue, Carpenter would have said something. You don't like it? Fine. Just stop being a dick to everyone who does, all right? I see y'all review bombing. I looked this up. Google review says the average is 1.9. Are you fucking joking? And to those people who were starting a petition to like reshoot the whole movie? No. Go to hell. Congratulations. You you retroactively made Scream 5 a documentary. (sighs) Anyway. I'm sorry if I'm raging out here. It's just, I don't get these people. Look, I like Michael. Michael's cool. But you strike me as fans of him and not the series. I just don't get the complaint that this franchise that started, again, before my parents were even in high school. Like, my parents weren't even in high school until 1981. It started in 1978, a few years before that, and you're complaining that they did something new. Anyway, I'll say this though, Halloween ends, I like it. I love it, actually. And frankly, if this is the last movie for Halloween ever, I'm satisfied. I can let let the sleeping dog lie if this is the last one, because this is a good, perfect way to go out on. It's not a crescendo, it's a nice melody that takes you down. But 
you know, it's it's too profitable to let it sleep forever. I just hope I just hope Malika Cod is going to let it sit for a couple of years. Uh, Blumhouse said that this is going to be the end of their involvement. Jamie Lee Curtis said this is going to be her last appearance in it. And David Gordon Green has said that the story he planned with Carpenter's, you know, input, it, it ends with Halloween ends. Um, you know, uh, maybe they could do a reboot for Jamie Lloyd. I don't know. In a couple of years, I'd actually like to see that because I feel like Jamie could have been really interesting. I'm actually kind of sad that court that Karen wasn't played by Daniel Harris. I'm actually kind of sad that Karen was named Karen and not Jamie because that would have been a nice inclusion. Uh, so overall, how would I rank these? Oh boy. Okay, just give me a second. I have it queued up here somewhere. All right, so like I said, I'm not including Season of the Witch because I like it, but it's unfair to judge against the rest because it's so different. In descending order, uh, this is what my ranking for the Halloween franchise is, and this is up on my letterbox if you want to go take a look at it. Uh, so going descending downward, it's Halloween, the original, then Halloween 2018, uh, original Halloween 2, Halloween Ends, H2O, Halloween Kills, 4, 5, Resurrection, Halloween. Um, 6 is a tricky one because I'm kind of averaging the producer and theatrical cut together here. So I'm just going to say then it's 6 and then it's the Rob Zombie Halloween 2. Yeah. So... I've hinted at it here, and unfortunately, I'm putting the show on hiatus. It's just a variety of stuff. It's, you know, I, I need I need money in order to survive in between working to try to get enough money to pay my bills and trying to read the books I want to read, uh, play the games I want to play, watch TV and movies that I want to watch just because I want to watch them and trying to do this podcast. I'm just kind of burned out. Honestly, I will be coming back at some point once I can get a little more free time, but I'm just kind of, I don't know. I, I just, I haven't been able to watch movies just to watch them for a while. I want to get back to that again, at least for a few months. I want to actually touch grass before I need a snowblower to do so. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, by the time this is going up, I will be going back to the theaters. I'm going to be watching Triangle of Sadness, Tar, and Black Adam. Um, I'm going to be showing Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas to a few friends of mine because they haven't seen it. And you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to say this. I fucking love 2022 for no other reason than this. As a horror fan, I feel lucky. I felt lucky whenever we got like more than one good horror movie a year. We have got so many ones that are at least okay this year. Like, I know Barbarian's kind of an acquired taste, but we got that. 
we had the black phone, even though I think that was technically released last year, but I didn't see it until this year. At least I didn't see it in theaters until this year. We had, I know it's a, it's a little derivative to some degree, but smile. I, I liked it. It, it kind of just felt like a slightly better. It follows, but I liked it. And then we had like scream five and this, we had a fucking awesome year for horror, man. And that's not even just counting all the stuff that's on Shutter that I haven't seen yet. Oh, yeah, like Prey. I still haven't watched Prey, amazingly enough. Which is... I, that's one franchise I hope we see a lot more of. Oh, and the Hellraiser, too. But, like, the Prey especially. I hope we see more of the Predator in pop culture. Because that's something where the premise could easily work. You could put him in, like, feudal Japan, or you could put him in, like, the early modern... Uh, Europe. You could put him in, like, the Napoleonic War era in Europe. You could put him in the fucking World War One era in Europe. You could put him in ancient Rome. Just do whatever. The Predator is one of those things you can play around with. And that's just the horror. Oh, I didn't even... Christ, I didn't even talk about X and Pearl. Jesus Christ. But, yeah. And that's just the horror. Like, if we're adding in, like, action adventure, like the Northmen, or, you know, everything everywhere all at once. Uh, like, goddamn. 2022 has been a fucking amazing year for movies in general, especially horror. But it's just been a great one for for movies in general. Uh, yeah, like, I, I don't think, like, granted, I, I didn't start seriously being, like, a movie buff until I was already, like, out of high school, but I don't remember a year where we had these many, mo- where we had such a, like, consistent quality of movies. Like, even the bad ones I've seen this year have been kind of entertaining. Yeah, so... You know, I want to say thank you to everyone that's been listening. Uh, I don't exactly have the biggest following, but I'm fine with that. Um, I hope you can forgive the rambling. Um, I'm, I've just not... I expected to have guests for some of these episodes, but none of them could make it work. So it's just been me talking at you. Um, thanks to especially all the like uh, non-Americans who are listening, because I looked at my analytics. I've got... Apparently, I've got some listeners in UK um, and in Brussels, in Belgium. I've got one in Moscow, apparently, uh, one in Xiamen in China. I've got one in Cancun in Mexico. And apparently, I've got one in Zimbabwe and one in Bots- one in Z- and one in South Africa one in Pakistan as well. So, uh, yeah, thanks to you guys for tuning in as well. Um, sorry, I have to leave you like this. And (sighs) yeah, I I didn't really write this down. Can you tell? I try to go off the cuff sometimes. Um, my earlier episodes are a little stiff because I was still going purely off notes, but yeah. Um, so this is the end of the line for now, not permanently. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to get a timetable on it because I don't want to lie. 
But overall, it's been great. Uh, if you've been listening to this, thank you. And, well, bye for now. Signing off. Good night. Stay safe. And here's hoping we get many more good years of movies. And for David Gordon Green, I'm hes- I was a little worried when I heard someone was going to be remaking The Exorcist, but frankly, I think they're in safe hands with this. All right. I'm going to cut it quits. Thanks for listening. Happy Samhain, everyone, and enjoy the rest of the year. Bye-bye.